This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, can a house be a psychopath? But before we get to a dreadful demise, I want to say thanks to our newest patrons, Donna, Travis, and Arobian. You too can enjoy ad-free episodes and help us pay a living wage to everyone who works to bring these stories to you. We're still a couple hundred dollars short of our pre-Patreon payment fiasco income, so if you have the means, please pitch in to help us keep this podcast going. Just go to nightlightpod.com legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast, plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Sweet House, written by Ozzie M. Gartrell and narrated by Jay Taylor. In the beginning, I belonged to an affluent family. My owner built me as a gift for his young bride. I was designed with care. Each scallop shingle nestled perfectly in my gables. My jewel tone colors were bold and unconventional. My porch invited humans to spend lazy afternoons lounging in wicker chairs sipping chilled tea. I often reflect on those days of airy joy and laughter. In my prime, I was the envy of other homes. Servants saw to my every need. Sweeping, dusting, scrubbing and polishing. Until I gleamed bright enough to rival the sun. To receive an invitation to dine at Sweetwood Manor was to be promised an evening of indulgence catered inside a home that delighted guests with exotic furnishings and elegant craftsmanship. That all changed after my builder's daughter went mad. They named her Moselle, but called her Zell. She was a bundle of destructive energy, slamming open my window panes in the mornings, screeching across my hard pine floors with her wooden horse, drawing patterns on my floral wallpaper with an assortment of charcoal, then acrylic paint, and later knives, dripping thicker, bloodier things. Zell was an attractive human, as far as I could surmise. It's difficult to judge beauty for those whose bodies are warm and clothed in flesh. How can they be pleasing when they lack the sheen of varnish and the curve of graceful eaves? Still, Zell was striking. Large, dark eyes. Thick hair that fell about her shoulders in tight kinks. She grew into a fine-boned youth with an easy smile 
an easier laugh, and a terrifying temper. Not long after Zell, another child, Edbert, joined the family. Where Moselle was carefree, Edbert was cautious. Where she was charismatic, he was awkward. When she dashed up and down the stairs, absorbed in grand adventures, he cloistered himself in my attic, reading. I enjoyed the rich echo of his voice as he enunciated every word with deliberate precision. It was as if by speaking perfectly, Edbert felt he could unlock the cryptic depths of true knowledge. My builder indulged Edbert's thirst for learning. He'd often encourage Edbert to debate topics of the day with his dinner guests. He was especially fond of boasting that his son, though barely eight, could intuitively grasp advanced mathematical and scientific concepts and would make an unparalleled scholar, if he weren't already in line to take over the company. It was clear to all that my builder had pegged Edbert to be his heir and groomed his son for life as a titan of industry. Though Edbert was reserved and obedient towards the adults of the household, he was an impertinent youth who possessed a wit every bit as cutting as Zell's. The pair bickered constantly, and as he grew older, Edbert took an obscene delight in brutal pranks and caustic comments. One evening, I noticed Zell lurking near the flight of stairs that led up to the attic. Her slim body warmed my wainscoting as she leaned against my wall. A thick book dangling from her hand, her dark gaze pinned on the closed door at the top of the staircase. From the kitchen below, a servant summoned the children for supper. Edbert slipped out of the attic where he had been secretly dissecting a dead rat he'd found behind an armoire and paused, startled to find Zell waiting for him. His gaze flicked from her easy smile to the staircase behind her and finally to the book she proffered. You'll enjoy this one, Ed. It's about Egypt, mummification, and pyramids. You'll especially like the drawing on page 152. Anubis, a real live death god. You know I don't believe in such nonsense. He sniffed. But he plucked the book from her anyway and flipped through its worn pages, hunting for gods. Zell stalked Edbert as he brushed past her and descended the stairs towards the main level, nose buried in his book, feet certain, oblivious to the hands that lashed out, shoving his shoulders. The impact of his body against each tread reverberated down my risers and rattled my balustrade. At the bottom of the staircase, my floor slickened with the liquid heat of blood that gurgled from Edbert's ears, nose, and unblinking eyes. I admit I had been frightened. For all her mercurial moods and pent-up violence, I loved Zell and feared punishment on her behalf. Edbert was the favorite, the heir. What do human parents do when they learn that one child has killed the other? Do they banish the offender or kill her as well? I wasn't yet familiar with all the intricacies of human interactions, and so I did the only thing I can think of to save my girl. I gorged myself. I drank my fill of Edward's fluids and soft bits. Zell watched with fascination as I devoured bone and flesh and hair. When I couldn't possibly take another bite, I reached up from between the floorboards and snatched what remained of Edward's broken, twisted body. I swallowed him down, down through my subfloor and past my joists, down beneath the hard-packed earth of my basement until I can cradle him tight against my deepest, most hidden self. 
he became my first corpse. Nothing remained of Edbert save the smallest stain like strawberry preserves, and the book he'd been perusing. Zell crept down the stairs, her breathing fast, her dark eyes bright with what I'd later learned was excitement. She knelt where Edbert's body should have been, and pressed a slender hand against me in a delighted caress. I belched around her in settling rafters. She turned to the gilded mirror that hung against my wall. Her cheeks were flush with exhilaration. Thank you, sweet house. Those servants combed the grounds, poking and prodding into my every nook and cranny. They'd been unable to find Edbert. A handful of servants whispered he'd run off, unable to cope with the weight of his father's expectations. Others recalled the curious sound of something heavy banging down the stairs that fateful evening. But when they'd rushed to check for the source, they'd found nothing but Zell crouched on the floor, her deft fingers sweeping up a history book. After Edbert's disappearance, things changed. There were no more parties, no more laughter. Most of my rooms were barred and my walls were decorated for mourning. Black shrouds covered every mirror. My shuttered windows fought back the sun, for daylight had become anathema to the family inside. His impotence and the disappearance of his only son drove my maker to the brink of suicide. He cowered and drank, cursing at any who would set foot in his study. For long periods of time, his wife refused to get out of bed, unable to stand the suffocating grief that lingered thick in the air. Servants dwindled away. As for me, I confess digesting Ebert made me languid. I fell into a stupor. From my perch atop a hill, I watched the seasons bleed one into the other, until it seemed they were not so much seasons in a year as they were hours in a single day. The damp bloom of morning, the yellow swelter of noon, the brittle sunset of autumn, and the starlit chill of winter, when all things have died and await rebirth. When I next awoke, Cell had blossomed into a young woman of great beauty. She would twirl in front of her floor-length mirror, admiring the flair of her skirts and petticoats. She'd fuss with her hat pins, eight-inch blades, adjusting them until they nestled comfortably in her headwear. Satisfied, she'd secret yet another small blade somewhere on her person, before flouncing to town along the arm of one suitor or another. Over the months, the majority of these young men came and went in one piece, each oblivious to the fact that he had just courted death. It was the ones who sparked Moselle's temper that ended up with Edbert. I pitied these men who had done no wrong except to upset Zell. But she was my child. The first to wander my halls and explore my secret chambers. The only one to call me Sweet House and confide in me. I had witnessed her birth, her first skin knee, the first time she began to bleed and mature into a young woman. I had become her acolyte. As my builder aged and alcohol cannibalized his mind, Zell took over more of the work. She ran his textile businesses and oil investments. When her mother became little more than a shut-in, Zell oversaw the few servants who dared remain. She managed both the household and its finances. Finally, all that remained was Zell. By then, she'd married a wealthy man. The ceremony was lovely. It was held on my grounds in a cultivated garden with azaleas and orchids perfuming the air. Zell was the picture of beauty, tragic and proud. He, 
a foreign investment baker she'd met during an international business trip. He wasn't anything to look at, and at least 20 years her senior. But as Zell confided to me one lazy afternoon, money makes any man more appealing. Of course, he didn't last long. That first Christmas Eve, she dismissed all the servants. That night, a choked cry and a deafening thud startled me awake. It was not Saint Nick, his reindeer clopping along my roof who had paid a visit. Instead, I found Zell in a bloody negligee. Thick crimson streaks stained her teeth and mouth. Her husband's throat was a meaty ruin and left a trail of filth as she dragged him down to my basement. I unfurled a hole next to the others. For Zell, killing was an itch that needed to be scratched. And what could I do but indulge her? To lock the doors when her victims tried to flee. To flicker my lamps and rattle my panes. But as their bodies' decomposition progressed, their odor curdling to mold inside my walls, I gradually began to realize that my Moselle was ill. She couldn't seem to stop herself from killing. She was becoming a crazed thing, driven by bloodlust. Before, she'd always kill for understandable, though occasionally arbitrary, reasons. A servant vexed her by serving lukewarm tea. A date thought raping her was a smart idea. Her father was forcing her to marry and become some other bastard's problem. Her mother had called her a harlot, who'd shamelessly entertain any man who'd have her. In each, I could understand Zell's motives until no motive was necessary except the ecstasy of carnage. It was at that point that I resolved to stop her. Over the next decade, I began to deteriorate. Not from neglect, but because I thought if I let myself go, humans would avoid me. My once vibrant paint faded and peeled in moldy curly cues. My hinges rusted so that every opening of my doors creaked in loud, unbearable screeches. My windows did nothing to stop the drafts, and my once transparent panes were now clouded like a cataractus eye. My pine floors, once polished to a gleam, were warped and stained. Occasionally, I allowed foul odors to waft up from the secret places in my body. My gas lanterns refused to light. And still, suitors came, enticed by the allure of a wealthy widow still beautiful, despite approaching middle age. If the sight of me, decrepit and terrifying, did not put them off, surely Zell's personality would. She was a difficult woman in the best of circumstances, but they never saw what I saw, not until it was too late. They were instead taken by her poise and charm, the curve of her hip, and the smoothness of her sienna skin, her sweet smile that lit up her eyes with wicked promise. Zell had but to rest a light hand on their forearm, and they were lost. She had the ability to make it seem as if the world had ceased to exist, and all that mattered was the gentleman before her and his delighted laugh. I tried to break the spell she cast upon them. As loudly as I could, I bathed through my lead pipes. I slammed my doors and whipped up fierce winds to rustle my silk curtains and shove heavy furniture across the room. The men would pale, some sense of self-preservation urging them to leave, or at the very least, proceed with caution. But Zell would flash a rueful smile and quip, My sweet house is turning sour. 
but I can't bear to part with her. My father built her, you know. Flaws and all, she's all I've known, and is so dear to me. A flicker of dismay would cloud her features, and then she'd lean forward, allowing the weight of her breast to press just so against their forearm, and whisper, as if afraid of being overheard. It's gotten so bad that the servants I used to keep began refusing to board here, then to work in the evenings, and finally to arrive at all. They believe my home is haunted. Can you imagine? If not for my faithful Ismail, I don't know how I'd manage. Haunted. Why, the scariest thing about my sweet house is little old me. At this point, they would laugh, and I knew I'd failed another. Zell was right that servants no longer tended to my needs. Between the ones she'd stuffed in my walls and the ones I'd run off, we'd called nearly everyone, save Ismail. I liked him. He joined our household at a time when Zell had trouble hiring staff. An orphan from the World War, his adopted family had cut out his tongue when he was a child and rendered him mute. Despite this shortcoming, Ismail was a loyal, hard-working young man, and not in the least bit squeamish. When he walked in on Zell cleaning her machete, a dismembered arm hanging over the lip of the kitchen sink, he didn't bat an eye. Instead, he had simply carried the appendage to the furnace, but couldn't be burned, he fed to me. Ismail was invaluable to us both. Zell ruled his days, but I controlled his nights. While he slumbered, I whispered dreams into him. Deep into his subconsciousness, I planted a vision of what would come to pass and repeated it each time he slept. I used the freedom of unfettered dreaming to prune Ismail's innate loyalty to Zell. Like a gardener, I fertilized behavior that aligned with my needs and weeded objection with a brutality that Zell would have endorsed. Under my careful ministrations, Ismail ripened. During his days, I seized every opportunity to smudge the line between reality and fantasy. Oh, Ismail fought me. He struggled to discern sleep from wakefulness, but it was a losing battle. When his dreams bled into his days and he slipped into the pliable fugue that I needed, I knew the time had come at last. My sweet Ismail was ready for the harvest. I do not like to dwell on what I did that night. I'm not proud of it. But it was necessary. I could never raise myself against Zell, not physically. But with Ismail as my intermediary, well... Following a kill, Zell often drank herself to sleep. The delight of death put her in a languid mood, and a glass or three of absinthe by the fireplace was her favorite way to unwind. I nudged Ismail into the parlor, and upon sight of Zell slouched in her armchair, the firelight playing across her slackened features, Ismail did what I'd conditioned him to do. He'd dreamed this moment night after night for months, after all. Ismail lifted Zell, tossing her over his shoulder like a sack of feed, and carried her towards the basement. She stirred, slurring torpid commands for him to put her down. But I'd prepared him for every eventuality regarding his task. He was deaf to her. When they reached the basement, Ismail dumped Zell to the unyielding ground, and she yelped, <coughs> pain dredging her from her alcohol-fueled stupor. Zell first noticed the vacant look in Ismail's glassy eyes. Second the open grave beside her. 
Third, the simple wooden coffin, empty and hungry, that waited inside. Alarm rolled across her face. Zell had always kept a grave ready for occasions when she decided to bury her victims alive. She enjoyed nibbling on apples while their pleas for release and screams of terror serenaded her. Zell scrambled for a dirt-covered shovel propped against a nearby post, but alcohol slowed her reactions and Ismail reached it first. With the shovel's wooden handle, he swatted her across the temple and Zell crumpled, curling into an S upon the ground. Prostrate, she seemed suddenly delicate. Harmless, even. It was hard for me to reconcile the fact that such a fragile, beautiful human had caused so much butchery. The wood groaned as Ismail rolled her into the coffin. Zell moaned, but did not regain consciousness. Ismail was thorough, nailing her inside before piling layer upon layer of cold earth atop her. When his work was done, he retired to his room and slept, blissfully unaware that Zell spent the last moments of her life clawing at the wood, her fingertips raw with bloody splinters. I wept for Zell. Who was I to do this to her? I, who had fed well over the decades? I'd grown strong off the blood and power and trauma. Trauma, as any house knows, leaves marks that do not heal. It contaminates everything around it, and if left to fester, will trap any and everything in its orbit. I was part of the rot, and just as culpable as my Zell. But still, I did not release her. The ones I'd devoured and concealed deep inside me stirred, wakened by blood and fear. Though I tried to hold them back, the restless spirits broke free. They boiled across the packed earth, and Zell and I gagged on their wet rancor. She cried for me, begged piteously for my intercession, promised me any and everything if I would save her. Zell's terror and despair stirred something powerful inside me. Doubt webbed through me, infesting me like termites gnawing at soft wood. This was my child. How could I really stand by and just watch? Though I ached with regret, I did not relent. I would not free her, but I could suffer with her. I opened my every sense to her torment and welcomed the vengeance of her, our victims. Around us, the dead thickened, becoming near corporeal. They tore away large chunks in my plaster and gouged great tears into the lathe beneath. They shattered several of my windows and rotted my lace and silk coverings. They soiled my wallpaper with foul liquids and ripped spindles from my staircases before the whirlwind of spirits returned to the basement. The dead claimed my cell. They shredded her mind. They scorched her flesh. They invaded her in ways that make me shudder to this very day. They choked the air from her lungs until Zell fell still, her mouth a rictus of a scream. The spirits retreated, folding themselves back into the decay of their bodies. Bruised and despondent, but resonating with the intensity of Zell's death, I took inventory of the damage. To my surprise, the dead had not bothered Ismail. He snored on, safe in his bed. His thin sheet twisted about his hips. I took Ismail's pillow and smothered him. On a cold Halloween night, Zell returned. She simply appeared, 
dressed in the gauzy peach nightgown she'd always favored with its matching feather-lined robe. Her hair was impeccable as usual. Her deep skin tone seemed a little chalky, but she smelled the same, moved the same, sounded the same. I cringed away from her. Had I been wrong about that dreadful night? Had Zell somehow survived and I'd been too busy eating Ismail to notice? I was drunk on the trauma of death, and Ismail had been an especially potent dose. I'd fallen into such a deep hibernation that when I'd finally come back to myself, a new family had already settled in. I was racking through possible explanations when Zell walked through my wall. I felt her passing like a splash of muddy ice water. Zell glided straight into her bedroom and froze, bewildered. There were strangers in her home. For a long moment, Zell just hovered at the foot of the bed, glowering at the sleeping man and woman. I felt her rage like a nest of wasps grow, and even though she didn't speak, I knew her well enough to gauge her thoughts. How could these intruders have gotten into Sweetwood Manor? How dare they contaminate her private space? Zell cast her gaze about and noticed that they'd even remodeled. I sported new floors, carpet, and freshly painted walls. Viridian, a color Zell absolutely despised. Pivoting on her heel, she marched out of the room to discover what else had changed. My windows had been replaced. I'd been retrofitted with electricity and the appliances that relied upon it. She found the others. Two children nestled in beds against the very walls that she'd secreted the bodies of a few servants. They were gone now. I often wondered how the humans reacted when they were renovating and found partially digested skeletons stuffed behind the plaster. Did they scream? Did they faint? I'm sure I made all the papers, but I was so lost in hibernation that I have no recollection. Finally, Zell tromped down into the basement. Instead of a dirt floor, she found unbroken concrete. I watched her tiptoe in a slow circle and stopped just above the spot where her body lay. Like that time when Edward disappeared, Zell's eyes locked on me. She read my betrayal as if I stood naked before her, but she didn't confront me. She didn't scream obscenities or chide me. Instead, she did something much worse. She smiled. I recognized the feral spread of her lips. It was the smile she wore just before she pushed Edbert. It was the smile she smiled when she laced her father's bourbon with arsenic. It was the smile that stretched her face when she wrapped her hands around her mother's frail neck. I watched with helpless dread as Zell strutted back to her. No there bedside she reached out a delicate hand and caressed the sleeping woman's face with the gentleness of a long-lost lover as if settling herself down to sleep zell climbed into bed she sank inside my new owner pulling the woman's skin over herself like a blanket and vanished i didn't understand what zell meant to do not yet apart from that fateful night i had rarely seen any of the dead rise again the ones that had were faint shades, usually too weak to manifest beyond a cold spot or a damp, fetid haze. And though I'd learned a gale of dread could cause destruction, how was I to know the damage a single human ghost was capable of inflicting? Everything seemed fine when the woman, mother they called her, rose the next day. I watched her carefully, wondering what my Zell could be doing. But mother was alive and healthy. 
So what if she seemed a little frazzled? So what if she complained about nightmares and constant headache? One that made her short with her children and distant with her husband. Hoping to appease mother, we all kept ourselves still and quiet. I should have known there was no appeasement. Not when Zell was involved. A month later, I found mother in the shed, grabbing an axe that lay discarded beside a pile of chopped firewood. I turned my side away as she rampaged through the house, ruining my walls and floors with gore and ichor. I couldn't help myself. I fed like a starved thing. I am not proud of my gluttony, but it had been so long, and the rush of fresh blood proved too potent a temptation. Once mother's family lay dead, Zell sashayed out of her like she was shedding an ill-fitted coat. Mother returned to herself, and upon witnessing what she had wrought, she fell to her knees, wailing in despair and disbelief. Zell laughed at her, <laughs> though only I appeared to notice her presence. The joy of Zell's laughter was made all the more chilling when she tossed a rope to Mother. Mother didn't seem to care that a rope had suddenly materialized, noose already fashioned. She did as Zell coaxed, and soon she swung from the attic rafters. The carnage that saturated her dress dripped onto the floor like sand in a bloody hourglass. Cross-legged, Zell sat in the air, her chin propped on her knuckles, and peered at me devilishly. Sweet house, she purred. Let's do that again. More families moved in, and the ending was almost always the same. Zell drove them mad and used them to murder all those closest to them. And I fed on their deaths. Still, I did my best to save them. Truly, I did. I only indulged in moderate feedings, just enough to satiate myself, but not enough to hibernate. Times were changing, and people noticed more quickly when my occupants went missing. The authorities would arrive, and I made sure to leave most of the bodies so that they could investigate. While I couldn't shield my occupants once they moved in, I tried to be preemptive. No matter how many companies came to clean me, I vomited blood down my walls. Anytime a prospective real estate agent braved a visit, I kept my doors and windows shut tight. For a while, I even tried entertaining ghost hunters and scientists. I shifted furniture when they needed it howled loud enough so that their equipment could hear. I assumed this would drive them off. Word would spread and people would keep away. Word did get out. Instead of Sweetwood Manor, I became Grimwood Manor. But as my notoriety grew, it only bred more to visit. And always Zell hijacked them. Either making them sick or infesting them so that they would return home haunted by dreams of blood and death. I'd learn from my miscalculation, and now fight to make it seem as if nothing is out of the ordinary, in the hope that any ghost hunters or paranormal investigators will leave and never return. Because with each death, Moselle grows stronger, and my hold on her is failing. What will I do when she's able to drift beyond my grounds and hitchhike home with some unsuspecting prospector? I have made her what she is, and I will atone in whatever way I can. They don't move in as often as they used to, the families. But Zell lingers, ever patient. She sits by my decrepit window and rocks in an abandoned chair and monitors the property as cars pass. Seasons and time mean nothing to us, after all. We both wait, 
hungry and at odds with one another. Even now I love her. She is my child, and I am her guardian and jailer. A new family is coming, one that I can't seem to drive away. They enjoy darkness and fear. They wear colors like funeral finery, and my sordid history intrigues them. There they are. I can see them turn to head up the drive. My old foundations tense, and the eager secrets I hold inside scratch at me, waiting ever so patiently, waiting to be free. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Written reviews help us the most, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. You can also give us a shout out on your favorite social media at Nightlight Pod or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ransom podcasts or rate us if you're in a hurry. Audio production for this episode by Davis Walden. Join us next time and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know who might be eagerly awaiting your arrival in the dark. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.